Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. It's where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell back your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Today, we're going to be talking about the DM basic rules and the Tarasque preview. But first, let's meet the panel. Guys, give us your credentials. Joe Lestowski, let's start with you. Hi, everybody. My name is Joe. I have been playing D&D for about 22 years now. I run a D&D Encounters table at my local uh, favorite gaming store, which is Modern Myths in Northampton, Massachusetts. Uh, I also blog about uh, gaming stuff and also Doctor Who stuff at uh, actsofgeek.com. The link will be in the show notes. Nice, nice. And Topher Cohen, how about you? What are your credentials? Hey, I'm Topher. I um, am a longtime D&D player. I, um, one of those nerds that stopped playing because I thought 2nd Edition was too out there. <laughs> and then came back <laughs> in the 4th Edition because of the organized play system. I run uh, organized play at my local friendly gaming store at Titans Game and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, and I'm on the Twitters at uh, Topher ATL and on Google Plus Topher ATL. And I worship at the altar of Mike Shea. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh-huh. Well, Mike Shea, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm sure no one who listens to this podcast has ever heard of you. Well, the, the Mike Shea altar is an uncaring altar, so it doesn't matter whether you worship at it or not. <laughs> it's like it's like worshiping the sun. Uh, I'm Mike Shea. I play a lot of D&D. I run a lot of D&D, and I run the website slyflourish.com. Nice. He's building a better DM there, guys, so go check it out. And uh, new to the roundtable, but not new to podcasting at all, Chris Dudley, what are your credentials? Hi there, I host the Rule Zero podcast, and I have been gaming and running various versions of D&D for about 33 years. I kind of skipped out on running 4E, but I did Pathfinder, and I have exactly one Paizo contributor credit. Oh, excellent. <laughs> and excellent. hell of a radio voice. Did you hear that radio voice? <laughs> it's true. I've been working on that. I'm completely intimidated. <laughs> well, guys, we know the resume, but let's get to know the men behind the resumes. All right, so today's get-to-know-you question. What is your favorite monster for a single creature or solo creature encounter other than a dragon? Uh, Joe, let's start with you. My favorite actually came up recently in a season of Encounters that I did a little bit of rewriting for. It was the uh, Yuan-Ti Anathema, uh, and I wrote the encounter because I really, really just love the miniature uh, from the Against the Giants set. It's this giant snake monster made up of hundreds of other snakes, and uh, it was just a fun time to run because he had all these little powers like uh, he could make lots of, lots of uh, saving throws because there were lots of snakes, and so every snake could make a save. And when you were prone next to him, you got bitten in the face by snakes. Um, <laughs> and so it just, you know, cool little flavor things. Oh, he turns into hundreds of snakes and flows over you, and everybody got, got grossed out by it and stuff. So it was just a very fun, flavorful creature to run uh, against the whole party. You know what that snake needs? More snakes. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I even put him on a plane uh, for a little nice. while. But... <laughs> it's Indiana Jones's worst nightmare for sure. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Topher, what is your favorite solo creature? It's got to be a you know high level lich. 
Mm. Oh yeah, I love a good lich. The ultimate. Um, my players who listen to this, it's not a shock to them. The ultimate bad guy in my home campaign is a lich, who likes to come in and um, screw around with the guys. I did a whole encounter where he just he did a Monty Hall kind of what's behind door number one, number two, number three with them. <laughs> oh, excellent! Yeah, everybody loves a good lich, man, and you can keep bringing them back. You know, you thought you found my phylactery, but you didn't. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Mike Shea, what is your favorite solo creature? Uh, uh, I'm going to have to go with Orcus. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So I, I ran Orcus. So not only is he just an awesome, awesome boss, but he's also got like the best miniature ever. Yes. And uh, I, I liked him so much that I ran him twice. I had my group fight him twice, once <laughs> as the Prince of Undeath and once as the God of Death. Oh, and of no, course you was, paid so much for that miniature yeah right so i, I gotta <laughs> use that mini whenever i can and yeah. just to get the right the dollar per use out you know has to get lower and uh yeah the, the you know of course being a 4e high level campaign they still beat him in a round you know like 1.3 rounds right <laughs> right of course they did but it took two hours it did it was still two hours long <laughs> and it still killed like three of them but. right right yeah exactly and in fact uh i have to say as a side note because i also ran an orcus uh, campaign your uh, empowered Orcus um, okay. you know you're fixed you basically fixed Orcus so he was more of a challenge for high level oh, characters. yeah I love that guy yeah yeah and that was huge so thank you for that because yeah. I benefited greatly glad he's killed more than just my party <laughs> exactly he deserves exactly. more souls <laughs> Chris Dudley what is your favorite solo creature well, you know, for my money, you can't beat class levels. So the named NPC that's kind of like, uh, usually a wizard is the best. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're they're easier to build because they follow the same rules. You don't have to look up any special tricks. Plus, <laughs> if it's the NPC they've been working on, they have a major grudge against that guy. That's true. <laughs> that's yeah. a good one. Uh, but from the document that I looked at so far, I like the Triceratops because he will knock you down and step on you. yeah i mean you can't beat a a, a good dinosaur or a named npc riding a dinosaur there you go (laughs) there you go (laughs) wizards on dinosaurs yeah yeah it's the best it's the best um all right guys so let's talk about a preview so the monsters manual is going to be coming out soon and uh, wizards has begun tweeting out previews and posting previews on their website and that sort of thing and uh we got to check out the tarasque which is of course a classic legendary unique D&D creature, bug, lizard, hybrid thing with a kite in a shell. Uh, if you don't know what it is, I'm not sure why you're listening to a podcast about the minutia of D&D rules. But <laughs> um, uh, you guys should check this out. We're going to link it up in the show notes. It's a level challenge rating 30 legendary creature. It's got all kinds of great stuff. Legendary resistances and it can swallow things. It's got a frightful presence. It's got claws and horns and tails and bites and multi-attacks and legendary actions. It's It's got a slew of stuff. Um, and Joe suggested we actually talk about it. Joe, I would look to you to start this conversation off. What do you think about the Tarasque? But I actually, uh, the other people on that uh, that other Acts of Geek website that I'm on uh, ran up against the Tarasque. As soon as they released it, they built uh, some level 30 ca- or some level 20 characters to fight it. And um, they said that in terms of uh, play tests going through, it just got boring after a while. Uh, Were they able to beat it at all? 
they were they were but it was it was just sort of a, a long term you know every round the rogue would hide and then you sneak attack with a bow from a distance every yeah. round the barbarian was mm-hmm. do- like they all had their same thing and they just kept doing it over and over and over until they had done 670 something points of damage to it hmm. um and so it, it i guess it, it lost its its unique funness after a while when they had been through you know 10 rounds of doing the same thing what what stopped him from being able to kill them I think it was a, just a, a variety of uh, they were proning him and, and doing other other things to him that, that made him use his actions uh, or at least use his legendary actions to keep him from being any bigger than, than a regular uh, monster. Gotcha. Um, I have not yet uh, play-tested combat against the Tarrasque, um, so, but that would be a fun thing to do, uh, or perhaps not, based on <laughs> what Joe's <laughs> friends have said. Topher... What are you thinking about the Tarrasque? So here's my thing. I, I'm kind of loving this. So in 4E, when you got a monster this level or this of badassery, mm-hmm. um, you it had 400 things it could do. <laughs> and as a DM, you were kind of, you know, almost tied to making sure that it did all the cool things you could do or you didn't really present the monster correctly to your players. This guy, he's got some cool stuff. And it's got, you know, the multi-attack, the bite, the claw, the horns, the tail the frightful present to swallow, but then it stops and, you know, it's got some legendary actions, but it seems like that they are getting smarter with making these gargantuan or these high end monsters just kind of, you know, beasts on their own and not making them have a whole laundry list of powers they have that, which makes them, you know, a high end monster. And I really dig that. I'm looking forward to, not just running the Trask, but running monsters like this in, in a campaign where it's, you know, a true task for the players. It seems like they're taking a page out of later uh, 4E's book, you know, Monster Manual 3 on mm-hmm. to sort of simplifying these bigger solo creatures so that there's not so you're not keeping track of an aura and all of these other things. And, you know, oh, wait, we got to go back. Everybody should have taken 20 necrotic damage from his aura. But, oh, well, if he did that, then I could have done this. And, you know, um, I, I think it does seem a lot more manageable. Um, although perhaps that's where the boredom Joe was feeling was coming in from. And I agree. And I think the upside is, is it doesn't take, I mean, uh, J- James, you talked about earlier using Mike's version Mm-hmm. of Orcus and I talked about earlier using Mike's version of the Beholder when I ran the Beholder for me and I think that nothing against someone like a Mike or someone else who wants to tweak a monster but I think that it's no longer necessary to have someone go through and tweak and I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing I'm thinking it's good but I don't know yet yeah yeah I, uh, perhaps we should all get together and uh, and fight the Tarrasque after this Mike Shea mm-hmm. what are your thoughts here well, it's interesting. I mean, hearing hearing that people actually fought it, I think, is really what's going to tell us how this thing runs. Um, one of the, you know, I think we've seen the Red Dragon as well. So we've seen a couple of big, you know, challenge, you know, challenges higher than 20, right, which are theoretically above what any PC should be able to do. So as, as like a challenge 30, it's it's way higher than any group of level 20 PCs. Uh, but hearing that a group of PCs got to the point where they're just round after round hiding and shooting at it and, and managing to kill it that way tells me, you know, probably like if I were, if I were running that, I would, I would say, okay, like if you're going to face a Tarrasque, you're not going to face it in a, in a, in a, any sort of situation where you could get away with that. Right. Like if, if you're negating all of his actions, I mean, you know, if you're negating all of his actions, then something, you know, something in the encounter isn't right. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably he just... would leave, right? Because I think can he yeah. burrow? I don't know if he can burrow. I would I would let him burrow. But you know, <laughs> he just he was like, I'm not going to sit here and wait for you know wait for you to shoot me to death. One thing, and and I guess you know, I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but the whole legendary resistance. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, so legendary resistance to me, it's 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 very interesting because I mean I've I've spent a lot of time running and designing high level D and D four E monsters and the struggle of what to do with you know crazy debilitating effects from PCs has always been difficult. And with this one, they kind of just they just said, okay, you're 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 basically not going to be able to do them. Right. right, like legendary, or it's gonna, you know, you're gonna have to do a whole bunch of them before you're gonna bother to get any effect. Um, legendary resistance, if, if if a listener doesn't have it in front of them, basically says that three times a day the Tarras can choose to succeed on a saving throw that it failed. And <laughs> what that means is when it, it it can go ahead and fail if it's not anything it cares about, like if it's not totally posing <laughs> it over. But if it if it is something that's really limiting it, it can just succeed. Now with three of those, like you know, that means all they have to do is do force debilitating effects so bad that right. three's not you know. a whole lot in my opinion <laughs> right three's actually not a whole lot if if you're doing 20 rounds three would hopefully be enough that the tarasca has eaten whoever was you know doing something like that sure um but i think the lack of a range attack probably is the big limiter on this guy and you wouldn't see that with like a red dragon yeah yeah and I, do, I don't know yeah and that's what i was noticing too is like you know the lack of the range attack means casting fly possibly gives yeah, you a, right, a big right. advantage right Again, um, if you're right, if you're in a giant field and there's the Tarrasque, but if you're inside a tiny cavern, <laughs> right. you, know, you might have an advantage. Um, so yeah, I, with all of these, you know, with the red dragon and the Tarrasque and the other giant monsters that we've seen, my big question is what? How does this actually play? Because I don't, I don't know that I haven't seen the evidence yet. I don't know how it's going to run, and I know from 4e, I didn't know how they were going to run until I actually ran them. All right, Chris Dudley. I have the same uh, you know, question. Like, I, I can, it's a brand new system. I don't know what this scale of numbers really means and how it would play out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple weird things on here, though. His Frightful Presence is a choice. It's an ability he can, like, he can choose who to, who to, fr- who to frighten. Like, he's got an intelligence of three. How's he going to make that choice? <laughs> you know, it's like, Rawr! oh, not you. Wise. <laughs> <laughs> it's the the cult of the Tarrasque. Right, right. right. So he's he's not that bright. Those, by the way, are the wizards that that cast nothing but dispel magic on flying people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, has the Tarrasque ever had allies in its storied D&D history? This comes out every hundred years and destroys some stuff and then goes back to sleep. Right. Yeah, he's an apocalypse monster. He's, he must have a cult. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't just, you know, you, you, oh, it's another Tarrasque. It's a pack of Tarrasques. Everybody get in your Jaeger. <laughs> <laughs> Put on your hat. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to see it play out, but I don't know how, how what kind of a campaign would get me to a Tarrasque, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, it, it would be uh, it would be fun to see this guy in action. So maybe we maybe we will set something up where perhaps we all fight the Tarrasque, uh in a with a devious DM situation. I, I've been I've been spending all my time because my favorite character, uh, my favorite character class has always been the Druid. And uh, I've been spending my time and we can talk about this as we get into the monsters in the uh, monster part of the uh, mm-hmm. D&D basics DM product there. Um there's no list of uh, critters that are wild shapeable 
for druids. And so I've been going through every single animal and being like, okay, if you're in the moon circle, this is the level you have to be to turn into this. If you're a regular druid, this is the, you know, and trying to get all my stats straight for that so that when I start rolling up my druid, I have an easy access uh, chart of critters with the way they're doing hit points with that. I don't think a level 20 druid would have any trouble uh, with uh, the Tarrasque. Uh, oh, really? Hit, hit point wise? Well, because... <laughs> You can yeah. you can turn you know you can turn into an elemental which gives you an extra uh, hundred something hit points or you can turn into a dinosaur which uh, depending on the dinosaur could give you a significant amount of hit points as well you could turn into a triceratops at level fifteen actually you can uh, knock the Tarask down and step on him yeah yes yes exactly <laughs> well I think well, Joe so. brings up a really good point is the fact that pure hit point to hit point these mega monsters the red dragon and now the Tarask we've seen don't look that formidable so I think it's really about how the DM runs them. Right, and I think it's really about how they fit into a larger encounter or a larger battle. Is I think the really big question. That's why I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be very interesting to see, especially with the variety of high level spells and abilities and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I really would love to see these guys in action. Uh, all right, guys, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor, NobleKnight.com. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store. Support small businesses that also exists online. Open 24-7 on the web. They have D&D and other cool RPGs. Any edition, any game. Even out-of-print products. And at a discounted price. That's out of control. Have a bunch of old game products collecting dust? Dangerous allergens! Noble Knight will buy the old stuff you aren't using anymore. Looking at you, Indiana Jones RPG! So go to NobleKnight.com and get buying and sell it. Take back your life and tell them the Tone Show sent you. And we're back! Alright guys, now I want to talk about the uh, first version of the dm basic rules we know that these basic rules are going to be updated as we see the release of more core products but i think it's good we talk about this first edition uh that was released when the player's handbook came out chris i think you can probably speak to this it is mostly monsters (laughs) and then about uh (laughs) six pages of dm advice some of which is repeated in sidebars yeah that is weird isn't it it's um there's uh, actual copied text from the from the text is in a sidebar exactly the same except the math is different but also wrong (laughs) (laughs) yes but yeah i mean it's it's really kind of weird because um there's a lot of monsters here, and there's not a lot of rules. In in and there's and if you look at the um, variety of monsters, um, there's a lot of animals, and there's a lot of dinosaurs, and there's a few of the the D and D standbys. But it, other than that, there's not you know that great a variety here. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely seems like uh, this is was rushed. You know what I mean? The first basic rules that we saw came out. Um, you know, the players' basic rules that came out with character <laughs> creation and that sort of thing did not feel rushed. But we also know that when those came out, the player's handbook had already gone to the printer. When these came out, the monster's manual had gone to the printer, but the DMG, I believe, still has not gone to the printer. So it makes sense that what we're seeing is more of a work in progress here. And, um, you know, we do see those things like 
things repeated almost verbatim in sidebars that are in the main body of text and monsters uh, organized alphabetically in very weird fashion. Oh, that was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, adult yeah. red dragon being the first thing? Yes. Yeah. A, yeah. Right. Yeah. And the last thing being a young green young dragon. Green. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, with, with many monsters in between. And we do see a lot of beasts, a lot of things that are going on Joe's wild shape chart, I believe. <laughs> oh, um, you know what? That didn't occur to me. That's probably why all the animals are there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh, that's oh my god. Things, so. Okay, that makes sense now. <laughs> uh so I think that's what we're looking at here. There are no hyperlinks in this PDF, uh, which perhaps will be added later, fingers crossed. So I, I but I think we can go through sort of block by block and and talk about this a little bit. But let's start overall, the PDF in general, um, sort of the layout, the way things are organized, were you guys happy with it? And Chris, let's start with you this time. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty. <laughs> um, I like that, you know, the, um, the the stat blocks look good to me. They look really easy to read. They look really clear. Um, that's That was a thing that intimidated me about 4th edition, is like those monster stat blocks were like, each of them was like a different set of rules. Yeah, but this looks pretty clear and pretty pretty solid. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. It looks good to me. I like it. Uh, I mean, and certainly it's free, so uh, you know, <laughs> can't beat the price. Can't beat the price. Uh, Mike, what did you think? A uh, sort of overall layout wise and readability and organization about this guy. You know, my my first impression was very much uh, that I was I was happy it actually looked really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because I've been sitting on playtest documents for the last year and a half. <laughs> And they look like a Word document that was dumped to PDF. And, and that's honestly what I expected. And I was very pleasantly surprised to see a nice, well-designed uh, page. I was, I was also glad that they updated them as quickly as they did. Uh, you know, we went from a single document, I don't think had any monsters in it, right? Right. Um, yeah. To then a separate players and, and DMG one. And yeah, they definitely feel like they're a work in progress. Watsi has said they're a work in progress. I think a lot of the monsters that they threw in here, uh, they threw in because they're appearing in the, uh, the two Horde of the Dragon or the, the two uh, Tyranny of Dragon adventures. Right. Uh, I'm not sure that all of them are appearing in there, but I know certainly there's some overlap. And there also is a Tyranny of Dragons uh, PDF. Yeah. Horde of the Dragon Queen yeah. PDF that has other monsters in it. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's yeah, actually right. interesting. I, I was running Horde of the Dragon Queen and I was using the PDFs for all of them. I have the, the PDF of the... In D&D Encounters, Horde of the Dragon Queen. I have the supplement for Horde of the Dragon Queen. I have the basic rules, and I have the player, you know, basic DM rules and the player rules. And I had to switch through three different PDFs for, like, one fight, you know, because they all the monsters were in different places. On the other hand, it's better not having it at all. Um, <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it. I, I, li- I like it. I'm, I'm very happy that they're doing this. I was talking to a guy who wasn't quite at the point where he wanted to commit to spending 50 bucks on a player's handbook. And I said, the nice thing is if you like the character, you know, he played with the pre-gen character. And I said, if you want to see more about this character, go on, you know, go Google D and D basic rules and you can download, you can download it and look at the whole thing and decide if, you know, decide if this is the edition that you like or, and if you want to keep going. Certainly there, there is a lot going on here and it does give me hope that like final form, we're going to see something really nice, well laid out, um, you know, and, and you really can't beat price point. So it is, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of monsters out there already for no, you know, release of the monster manual yet, which is pretty cool. Topher, how do you feel about layout organization in general here? I've said before here, I'm a kind of a layout nerd and I think the layouts are really great. It's, 
easy to read. Uh, as a DM at a table, I can quickly scan the monster, figure out what's going to happen. I'm really happy with that. I kind of, this is kind of nitpicky, but I wish the stuff at the end, the building, the combat encounter, and the um, magical items were first. Yes. And make the last part of the of the document just all monsters. And that, you know, we end with monster. We end with that, you know, after the last monster, then we get the what's next page, what comes next page. But I think that's really kind of nitpicky, you know, and I understand how to use, you know, Adobe Acrobat Pro. So if I wanted to, I could just reorganize it. Right. Um, but I, and I do really like, as a, um, I said before we started recording, this is the first edition of any RPG I've run without playing first. Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that the very first page I get is, here's how to read a monster stat block. <laughs> and yes. that's kind of rock and roll to me. And, you know, as uh, someone, I think Joe will back me on this, someone who runs organized play at a store, getting new DMs in is, you know, one of our biggest tasks. And if I can hand them the stock and go, here's how you read these stat blocks. Oh my gosh. Thank you very much. Wizard of the coast. You're my new best friend. It seems like they want to hold on to some of the four E making it easy for the DM philosophy. If they can, uh, Joe, what are your thoughts? Basic layout and stuff. Um, basically overall, I, I think it's a, a very useful document. I, I think it's clear that it's a, it's a work in progress. Um, I wish that it had been more, um, advertised i guess i i wish it was more more uh i don't know apparent that there's this separate document out there as opposed to the others if you go through the the dnd website there's several different pages that have pdfs of things you can download depending on whether you're getting uh the supplement for horde of the dragon queen or the the gm basic rules or the quick start rules for adventures league characters depending on which page you're on and uh for instance at our first night of dnd encounters uh, I have all of the. I don't have a tablet uh, to to put PDFs on, so uh, I have. Uh, I printed them all out and put them into a three rig binder. And uh, one of the other DMs who had just stepped up that night because we had a lot of players and he was going to run it said, "Hey, I don't have any monster stats. Uh, do you know where I can find them?" And I was pulling pages out of my thing to try and get them all for him. Um, so it, I just wish it had been a little more clear that, "Hey, here's where you can find these things. These are the documents you'll need for these specific tasks." Uh, I think that would have made it a little easier, but overall, I'm 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 pleased with everything that's well, almost everything that's in there. Cool, yeah, yeah, and I, I, you know, I think that's all stuff that hopefully we'll see something in the future. Like when the final version's out, it's like, hey, free D and D over here, you know, and they uh-huh. want new people to direct their eyes towards that because there's some things that require fixes maybe they're not pointing to it as much you know well then let's move on guys let's talk about monsters right that's like Topher said they're right up front we've got monsters how to read a stat block we sort of discuss the different types of monsters um that there are and then we get right into the meat of it we've got many many pages here Topher, we already heard a little bit about how you feel about this whole monster section. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's brought, been brought up before. I think they should have worked on their alphabetization, you know, not putting the adult red dragon first and foremost, but okay. Um, I think it's good. I think that if you learn that convention pretty easy and understand that's how it's going to work, then it's quick and easy to find, to find the monsters. They're well laid out. Um, I think um, there's a lot of uh, assortment in here. I find it odd that they put a separate PDF out just for the monsters in the Horde of the Dragon Queen mm. and didn't put and didn't put them in here and make it one all-encompassing document. But I think it's good. I like it. I mean, I mean, 
anytime we get a you know a page that has a cyclops, a deer, a death dog, and a dire wolf on the same page, mm-hmm. I think it's a D and D win. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Shea, what are you? What are your thoughts about all of this uh, monster stat blocks? Easy to read. Do you like uh, all the monsters that we're seeing? I'm just glad we finally have the stats for a camel. <laughs> oh yeah, I've just uh, the only thing is I don't know why we don't that. have a legendary. Why don't we have a legendary camel? Oh, I don't a dire know camel. <laughs> a, 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 a giant, I want a camel. Camel. I want a camel and a camel's lair and you know, <laughs> everything. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. My my immediate reaction was kind of like scratching my head trying to figure out why some of these monsters are in here because uh-huh. it does have like every type. I mean, camel, elk, you know, every everything I can't imagine ever having needing stat blocks for. Um, you <laughs> know, flying snake, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of dinosaurs and allosaurus. Okay, I guess <laughs> I've never used one before, but I would. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, again, I go well. It's free, right? Like it's every. It's, it's a big pile of monsters in here. And every one of these is one that I can reskin and turn into something else if I need. Mm. Um, it's got a nice wide range of of CR of of challenge ratings. You know, there's, it seems to go you know pretty far up. I mean, definitely that that the the, the dragon in the beginning. Although I don't think there's any of the the great big huge level twenty things. Mm. Um, but I, I think if I if I heard correctly, their intent is that you will have enough monsters in here to take an entire party from level one to twenty. Yep. Using yeah, the basic rules for the one to twenty set, so you could you could have a full range. If they don't uh, they mind do... spending levels one to three fighting deer, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a lot of camels, but you know the camels right. are actually not too terrible. They're more experienced than a goblin. So, um, <laughs> the uh, they do have a spectator, which is like a small beholder. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's only interesting because typically Watsi has kind of kept the Beholder. The Beholder is one of their iconic monsters that was never put out under any sort of licensing. You know, that is their monster. It's a it's not a mythological creature. So they actually own they right. own the rights to it. Um, but but we have a at least a small Beholder in here. Yeah, which is pretty um, cool. Yeah, we have some nice swarms, including the the most deadly creature in Horde of the Dragon Queen, the swarm of rats. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a you know, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. I like it. Yeah, yeah, and it is it is true. There are uh, quite a few things, uh, quite a few creatures, and then the giant version of the creature. So- I think that's druids. Is that all for change form? It must be. It must be. Yeah. yeah so you can become a giant crab instead thought, of a regular yeah. crab. Chris, what are your thoughts here? Um, I like the assortment. I mean, I, I, I really wish there were more of the D&D staples. I really wanted to see a mind flare in here. I really, mm-hmm. uh, Pete, uh, my co-host on Rule Zero, he wanted to see an Umber Hulk in here. So there's a little confu- a little disappointing that those weren't there. That, yeah. It's also interesting because those are two other creatures that I think are Watsy kind of considered right. Watsy exactly. property. Yeah, they definitely yeah. are. Um, I like this idea of tags. Um, these these are keywords that you can add to a monster, and it, it you can address it with other things in the game. But there's not a finite number of them like there were in third edition. Um, yeah. Like the um, you know evil was a descriptor for a monster in a in in third edition, and you know that could still be one. But you can expand this list as you need, and I like that. Hit dice are by size. Is that new in this edition? I think that so. Is, that right? is not something they've done in um, 4 Yeah. That's, what, I, is I, that I, kind I, of I radical, right? I don't remember if they did that. What's that? 
that's kind of like a radical change, right? That's like well, it, it's, it's interesting, different. yeah, because it, it kind of builds these asymmetric monsters, right? You now have right. you now have monsters that where their challenge ratings, and I, I actually like this very much that the challenge ratings of two you know two monsters may be the same, but those monsters are going to be very different in in many many ways. Mm-hmm. Where in fourth edition. Like, you know, if you say yep, level 10, I can tell you exactly what the hit points, the attack score, the damage <laughs> up. But, exactly. I mean, right. it, you know, there's a linear chart for, to figure that out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and third, I think it was by monster type. So like Undead had a D12 hit die, but, you know, Magical Beasts had D10 or whatever it was. Rather right. Than and if side. you notice that the type has no mechanical meaning in this edition, it's just like monsters that are kind of like this are probably this type. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they all have this set of abilities. So that's going to be a, a new thing, at least for me. Um, so they do their hip, hit dice by size, but they do their proficiency bonus by challenge rating, which is odd juxtaposition. It makes sense, but it's not really intuitive to me. But yeah, I mean, monsters, I, I, I approve of monsters. <laughs> <laughs> that's my summation. I approve. That's true. That's true. I approve as well. Joe Lestowski, do you approve? I uh, approve with an asterisk. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to turn down free stats for anything. Um, again, I, I will reiterate what everyone else has said about the alphabetization. Um, even with the giant things, like if I if I go to elk, that's under E, but if I went giant elk, that's under G. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, looking at it, even from a druid standpoint, and the, I want to have creatures that I can wild shape into um, – do I really ever need to even think about a giant seahorse, let alone turn into one? Um, it, it just th- there were some things thrown in here that just felt so out of left field that I was like, okay, what possible reason would I have to want to change into that, or want to fight that, or want to interact with that in any way? And I, I couldn't couldn't come up with anything. The other the other issue for me, and this is probably because I'm I'm more fourie uh, proficient is that uh, giant is a descriptor put on names, but it's not a size. And creatures that are giant whatever could be anywhere from small to huge, depending on what a giant thing they are. So the giant frog is medium, giant elk is huge, uh, the giant fire beetle is small. Uh, <laughs> and so that just, it, it, it felt weird to me because giant, I, I feel like, is a, a size category, not just a... a it's a I, relative I know, a, term here, right? Yeah. It's relative to right, whatever, right, right. Yeah. whatever the beast is. Yeah, and, and granted, you know, when when my wife screams and jumps up on the couch and says, "Oh, there's a giant spider over there," I don't expect to face something as big as a horse, um, you know. So, so I understand that it's it's, <laughs> but it's based on prepared. perspective as well. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Um, but overall, no, I, I like all the stats that are in here. Uh, I kind of wish the NPCs weren't separated from everything else because if I'm quick flipping through, I don't want to have to think, okay, well. Bugbears can be NPCs, but are, are they under Bugbear under the monster section or are they under the NPC section? And, mm-hmm. and the NPCs seem to be more the jobs that people have. So if they have a class in something, they're in the NPC. Um, I do like that there's commoner stats as well, because uh, especially with the flat math in 5e, when we were doing character generation, a lot of players were a little upset that they didn't have 18s or higher in their stats. Huh. Uh, and being able to show them, well, your common person has 10s in everything. That's how much better you are than the average person with your twelve. Uh, it made people feel a little better about about their characters, and that was that was a really helpful tool as well. Yeah, the, you know the one thing I'm missing from this as well is uh, is templates. 
I sort of, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe we'll see that in the final iteration, but, like, it's great to have a generic werewolf, but I'd love to be able to slap werewolf on, you know, on a, on a character, Get, you know, create a PC, and, and then when he gets bit by a werewolf, he becomes mine, and I use him as a villain in the campaign. Or right, something right. Like or, or even take another monster and slap it on, you know, you've got your Terrasque. Oh, now he's a werewolf Terrasque. Were Terrasque. The one other thing that I, I am, I am very much much hoping for uh and i mean this this document doesn't have even a table of contents really uh but i'm i'm hoping for and this is a very iconic D thing but charts uh chart charts and lists i want to see monsters by challenge rating i want to see monsters by you know druid wild shape intuable form uh by level or something like that i i just i want to have that easier to access um and then of course cross-reference too so that when they mention it they say oh and it's on this page um that's on my wish list of things that could go into a monster section maybe in the final monster manual i haven't had a chance to see that yet but that is my hope yeah uh certainly those things seem like things that that would hopefully uh end up there you know we should talk about legendary creatures real quick yeah uh mike shea we have legendary creatures, and they come with a legendary lair. Uh, what do you think of these mechanics? Pretty awesome. Well, yeah, on paper they look great. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love the idea of the legendary lair. I love the idea. You know, this solos solos have always been a problem, right? They've mm-hmm. in three point five, your 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 big solo guys would just get they would either wipe out a party or be wiped out by a party in an incredibly short amount of time. Um, in 4e, they had solos, but it quickly, they, they often suffered from a lack of action. You know, the action economy wasn't in their favor, so they, they, they acted a lot less. And again, like one good stun would take down a solo creature for an entire battle. And, and they seemed, Watsi seemed to struggle with that, uh, throughout the entire fourth edition. And only in the, I think in some of the final monsters that we saw with the uh, Monster Vault and things like that, did we start to see some workable mechanics for this? Uh, but again, like the easiest thing is like, how about you just can't stun those guys, right? And then there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of players going, well, what do you mean I can't stun it? That's my whole thing. Like, no, your whole thing is stunning smaller guys. Right. You don't get to, you don't get to stun them, Red Dragon. Uh, but the idea that you now have environments that get that act on an initiative and do things, you know, the, the adult Red Dragon on page eight, is I think the only one that's got all that stuff, right? I don't know if there's another stat block here that has a whole. No, that's the only legendary. Yeah, that's the only only full legendary. But it's got everything, right? It's got the actions that it can take in between turns, uh, and the lair that acts on initiative count twenty. Uh, you know where magma erupts and tremors shake and knock people down. And this is like, yeah, you know, I didn't see a Tarrasque layer in that preview. <laughs> I hope it has one. Like it'd be really nice if it's like, yeah, it stomps the ground and everything in the air falls. You know, falls to the ground. You know, he inhales and everything within 200 feet is sucked into his mouth. You know, like, so I guess that wouldn't be a lair, would it? That'd be him. But, you know, so I, I love the idea that, that now you can have like a single creature and it doesn't need to have a bunch of other people sitting around also defending it. It can defend itself both with its own actions and with uh, lair, the lair. Oh, yeah. um, but again, we have to see it on paper or you have to actually see it at the table because I worry that there are going to be things that, that are hiding off in those level 18, 19, 20 characters that will <laughs> negate a lot of this stuff. Like they resist all elemental types or because they have that one special thing, fire doesn't do anything to it. It doesn't matter. 
Right. Um, but I do remember like in the initial days of 4E being able to look at solo stat blocks and immediately seeing that there were problems with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I remember looking at two pit fiends and seeing like if two pit fiends fought each other, neither would win because both of them don't do very much damage and both of them are resistant to the damage that they do. So right. two, two pit fiends would fight forever and nobody would win <laughs> where I don't see anything that jumps right out at me and says, yeah, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And it does it, the, the layer aspect does seem to add a, a layer of complexity that is fun um, and interesting. So I, I will be excited to see how those work as well. I, the more I think about it, the more I think I need to roll up some high level characters and have them fight some stuff and then do a podcast about it. So. We should do that. Mm. We should record yes. it. We should. I'm yes, all about that. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. Well, we'll definitely do that. Uh, Chris, what do you think about legendaries? Got anything I, to add? I am actively salivating at the stat, stat block and monster page. Um, I mean, this this is great because, like like Mike said, the problem that all of these, you know, monsters that are supposed to be tough are is that, you know, one they get one turn. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe they can do two or three things on their turn, but this is great because this is going to do something three times on somebody else's turn, mm-hmm. and then plus his his layer is going to do something. I think that's great. That's going to make it tricky, probably not insurmountable. I hope. Um, I'm kind of wondering. Um, I mean, I love these regional effects too at the bottom here. It's like a oh, red yeah. dragon, an adult red dragon moves into yeah. your neighborhood. The, <laughs> the world around him changes. Yeah. Uh, I think that's beautiful. I would like to see how common. Watsy is going to put legendary creatures into their modules and stuff. Is it going to be like every module has exactly one legendary creature or only the, you know, the, the big bad evil monster at the end of the adventure is going to be a legendary. So I'd like to see how common it's going to be. Like how, how, what level are there level ranges to legendaries? Mm-hmm. Are there, is there going to be a legendaries? legendary cobalt boss? Right. <laughs> well, my, I already told my group that every, everybody's legendary. That's awesome. Like every goblin is a legendary that gets to resist three times. And, <laughs> and when everybody's legendary, nobody's legendary. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're all going to be resisting three times. Um, Chris, I do have a question for you because you primarily play Pathfinder and three point. Are you playing mostly Pathfinder these days? Yeah, I'm running two Pathfinder games right now. Yeah. So in, in Pathfinder, is there a sort of an equivalent to a solo monster? And if so, how do they handle it? Uh, they Well, up until um, they came out with the mythic uh, rules, uh, every Mon- there were no different rules for monsters. Monsters played by the same rules as the players. So they got one turn and they had to follow the, you know, the standard action, move action, full round action economy. Wow. Uh, what, what, are, what are the mythic rules? Uh, the mythic rules are just kind of, um, it's an add-on that they have um, introduced to, um, well, the, the example that they give in, in, the, in the book is the monk picks up a dinosaur and throws it at another dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's things to just kind of go off the rails and get a little godlike but and um, do monsters get that or is that strictly PC? yeah there are mythic monsters and sometimes the things that they can do as mythic are maybe take another turn i haven't really run a mythic monster yet i've just allowed my players to take it so we're going to see how that goes topher what was the first thing you thought of when you saw these legendary things well i agree with what everyone has said i mean i think the regional effects that chris brought up that was i was really jonesing on the fact i can put this in a in my campaign and have it be more than just oh, and you stumble upon an adult red dragon, there are effects in the world that we're living in. The first thing I thought of is, are they going to scale the legendaries and the lair effects when we get to bigger red dragons, like a, an ancient red dragon? Are, are they going to scale with them, or is this just a red dragon's lair no matter what level? I think I hope they scale them. Well, Joe, what do you think about legendary creatures? 
Most of the reason I DM is so that I can tell stories. So the regional effects really, uh, really played well with me. Just the idea that like you can come across a town and think that they've got a water supply problem because their water all tastes like sulfur, and they're trying to investigate this, and suddenly they realize, oh wait, there's a red dragon. Like that. That I like. I like being able to to run longer stories and use effects like that to slowly bring people into the realization of what's going on. Uh, so that's very cool. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about, and it, I'm, I'm curious just in general looking at the way 5e runs at the table, is uh, action economy and uh, how that translates to going up against a legendary creature. Uh, depending on what class you play in 5e, you may have things that recharge after a short rest, which is uh, an hour's rest. You may have things that only recharge every day, so you get need an eight-hour rest in between. But if you're going up against a red dragon, if it has minions beforehand, do you defeat those minions and then have a chance of defeating the red dragon afterwards without resting? Or is that like I, I'm curious to see how how that kind of of resource economy in terms of spells you can cast or or healings that you have or whatnot uh, translates to uh, characters going up against one of these things? Because I think. Uh, I mean, it looks, it looks, the adult red dragon looks challenging as it is, uh, even if you had a fully rested party just waking up, opening the door and fighting him. Um, but I think, you know, if your warlock has used two of its invocations already and your wizard is down a couple spells and the cleric's already used half of his healing, the red dragon's not going to wait for you to rest an hour so you can recharge those things. Uh, and so I, I think that would make it much, much more challenging uh, if there are you know, minions or other encounters to get through before you get to this red dragon in its legendary lair. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it is interesting. High level play is the big question mark right now. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's my big question mark. Yeah. Well, it takes it to another level. Joe put it out well that maybe as a party you want to try to attack the red dragon, not when it's in its lair. Like if you could find it outside of its lair, that's the time, no matter where you are, to try to attack it. <laughs> Mm. Tempt it with a thatched roof cottage village that you've put up in the middle of the night. So it pile comes a bunch of gold in the middle of a village and maybe yeah. they'll come and take it or something yeah. else. <laughs> hey, crazier ideas have worked at the table, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, we're talking about encounters, guys. Let's talk about encounter building. Uh, we have the rules for encounter building show up after the monsters here. And, uh, you know, to, to break it down, uh, similar to 4E, you get an XP budget. And with that XP budget, you uh, can can spend it on various monsters. Um, they advise you not to go above the party's challenge rating when looking to to buy monsters, um, and that if you do, you should know it's going to be a very deadly encounter. And then they go on to talk about uh, if you have multiple creatures, the challenge rating sort of increases exponentially, right? That it's hard to fight uh, many small creatures um, than it is like one medium your size creature. Um, so uh, uh, this sort of inaction uh, is a little clunky. Um, uh, you know, I was uh, at a game yesterday with Mike and Chris. And we were, uh, it took, it took the entire table basically to figure out, um, <laughs> how many Sturges were appropriate for a group of, uh, five second level characters. So it, it did definitely seem a little clunky. Uh, we had to, you know, bust out some advanced algebra and calculus, uh, to, to get things going there. So uh, why don't we start, uh, Chris, with you, since you were the one who had the rules in hand, uh, and discuss what did you think of these encounter building rules? 
I think they're completely backwards. <laughs> I mean, normally you want you know kind of know what you're you want your characters to face, so you put that in, and then you know maybe you check the challenge rating to find out, hey, maybe that's appropriate, maybe it isn't. But in this one, you have to do it backwards. You have to find out what everybody can handle, add them all up separately, and then find out how many monsters of you know it's it's kind of like having a budget, but it isn't because more monsters will complicate that equation. Um, which is good for, you know, making it balanced, but you really have, you can't do that on the fly. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it stopped the game cold. I kind of did that on purpose, right? Like, you know, one of the things that I'm doing is trying to say, okay, before I start just winging stuff, let's, let's actually do it like they say to do it. And that's why, like yesterday, I thought it'd be interesting, you know, like I wanted to throw Sturges in there. They weren't in the adventure, but I thought Sturges sounded cool. So let's try them. And I remember like, in my head, the wing it was somewhere between like five and 20 was the appropriate <laughs> number of sturges and 20 would have wiped everyone out. Like those guys, <laughs> right. those guys are actually pretty tough. Yeah. Um, I mean, they only the have two hit points, that. but boy, they eat, they eat you. Yeah. Right. Uh, the difference is like a massive swing in XP. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Right. So, right. So, and, and the whole idea of like, well, okay, you know, roughly in my head, I can, I, we can gauge the total amount of experience points. You know, everybody was the same level and we could sit and figure that out. And, but then, okay, then I got to throw, how many Sturges did that equal? Well, that equals this number of Sturges. Ah, but when it's that number, their value doubles. So now I've got to reduce it. Well, how far do I reduce it before the value goes from double to, you know, to, or from 2.5 to two? And then how many more Sturges is that? So it's this constant like swinging gauge back and forth. And yeah, I, I, I can't imagine doing that at the table. And I think that eventually we're just going to get to the point where we're back to winging it again. Yeah. You know, and we're like, we'll get you. My feeling is we're going to get used to this. I've been using the challenge rating more than the experience budget, mm -hmm. uh, which is how I did 4E. Like in 4E, I just always said, okay, if they're level, you know, if the, if the party is generally all level six or 16, then I'm going to start with five, you know, and there's five of them. Then I'm going to start with five level 16 monsters. And then are any of those elites? Okay, well, then that counts as two. Do I want to make the battle harder? Okay, well, I'll probably add a couple more. And I think that's how I'm going to end up doing this anyway. But yeah, certainly like, you know, the rules even in this, in this book are like one, two, you know, they're three full pages. And yeah, the whole like weird dial of, Right, getting experience points. I think they actually tell you, like, sit down and get your total levels of all your characters and add it up four times so that you know what easy, medium, hard, and deadly encounters are going to be. <laughs> yep. I mean, they're asking, you know, and, and maybe this is where, you know, this is where they say, hey, look, just wait for our online tools. <laughs> you know, like, we're right, going to have online that's tools. That's right for a spreadsheet. Be great. You know? Yeah, right, exactly. You know, it's we're going to have some online tools, and that'll handle it all for you. You don't have to ever do this again. But but I've been pretty happy with the idea that with fifth edition I've never needed to use a computer until now. Yeah. So and and I do think it is going to be like this is the the call for spreadsheets is going to go out on forums and and things like that. So even if Wizards does not provide, I'm sure people are already working on this to to figure out the math. Uh, Joe, what did you think of these encounter building rules? I feel betrayed by them. <laughs> why is rather personal well well here's 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 the yeah I, I have personal relationships with printed text and uh this text has betrayed me no um <laughs> i uh i i in in the first encounter session that i ran the party was racing on horses to go after this town that they had gotten word was under attack and a couple of black bears walked into the way 
Uh, and I had I had done up some quick math beforehand when I saw that I was going to have a table of seven players, and I was like, okay, seven first level characters. So a deadly encounter would be seven hundred XP, and a hard encounter would be five hundred twenty five XP. And I did the math up. If I have three black bears and they're one hundred XP each, then I double that, so that's six hundred. So that's just over hard, but not quite deadly yet. Okay, that should be all right. And the black bears showed up, and uh, the players got down to fight them, and. Um, all of them at full hit points, and the black bear one shot killed one of the players. Oh. Uh, and because it gets two attacks, and it did hit once for five and once for seven, and she had ten hit points, and that was it. You know, um, and then uh, it it almost took down two other characters before they were able to finally get rid of them. Uh, but that was just sort of like out of the out of the blue. I mean, it illustrated to the players how deadly 5e is and how they ought to be more careful about which combats they get into. But at the same time, I didn't intend it to be that kind of a fight. And suddenly, you know, I've, I've got one player totally down and, and two more uh, needing significant healing. And they got her back up. She didn't die-die. You know, she was just at zero hit points. But still, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, what I was expecting. And then I had to sort of retailer the rest of the encounters that night to make up for the fact that they had used up most of their healing resources on what was supposed to be a quick intro encounter that would that would show them hey here's some tough critters but you can take them out so that was that was at level one that was at level one yeah yeah Yeah. and and black bears in general are a challenge rating one half right uh so i i didn't think it would be too bad you know and i figured okay seven people at the table so three black bears you know it it that that should be that should be doable. The the math ought to work. And then even doing using the complicated math, it still ought to have worked. It was it was hard, uh, which should be tough and could go potentially be- very badly uh, with a few unlucky die rolls or bad circumstances. Um, but it wasn't even a bad cert. It was just the creature hit on two attacks. It wasn't like she failed a save or there was a high damage roll or you know it was just a medium damage and and hitting with attacks and suddenly she's dead mm-hmm. um so so that was i i feel like the the math may need some tweaking but that's happened with every edition i mean that certainly happened with fourth edition um well the the level one is kind of an anomaly on itself though well that's true too i mean one you know like goblins are killing level one people you know so i mean one one of the things that's actually is probably the only the only immediate trouble spot that the whole edition that jumped out to to me was the idea that level one characters are, you know, that's the hardest level of the game. Like, you know, the, right, the scaling right. of the, the difficulty of the game, I'm, I'm guessing doesn't scale with level as mm-hmm. in, you know, like, you know, a bunch of level 20 people fighting a red dragon is probably easier than level ones fighting black bears. Yeah. Right, right, right. And even having multiple level ones, like that was, I felt like that upped my XP budget that I could spend because right, I had right. seven players at the table. But I think there ought to be some, okay, you only take half of that XP because they're all level one, so they don't really count as full characters yet or yeah. something. You know, like, like right. the, there ought to be an adjustment for that. Topher, what did you think about these encounter building rules? I have two thoughts. One, I think that they left off a fifth bullet point there after compare the encounter XP value to party encounter difficulties. The fifth one should have been and be prepped with low-level characters to fudge and ignore dice rolls. Because I think that you guys have hit it on the head. If you're, especially when you're doing starting at level one and even maybe in level two a bit, that if you follow these rules exactly, you're going to have a pretty deadly encounter, which shouldn't be. So you should be prepped to kind of as a DM fudge. And I think that isn't said. I mean, I understand that they say over and over again, as a DM, you get to do whatever you want. But 
the other side is the fact that I find these unnecessarily complicated to figure out how to build an encounter. Yeah. And, uh, as a DM, I don't, uh, as a, for a living, I deal with lots of numbers and uh, theoretical thoughts and stuff in my day job. In my game, I don't think I want that. And I think these these rules are a little more complicated than they need to be. And maybe you guys hit it on the head in the fact that what they really are saying is, hold your horses. We're going to have a tool that you just you know punch in your characters and we're going to tell you the right stuff. And if that's great, I don't know. But I think they're unnecessarily complicated. Well, it's that, it's that interesting that... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask about the word unnecessary. Do you think that there are easier ways with what we've got to be able to figure out the right encounter balance? I don't know, Mike. I, I don't think so. I think that... Because I, I think they're necessarily complicated, which is what bothers me about them. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think, mean, that, we, I think that, we have to That's a better way them. to say it. That's your right. I, that's I 100% th- better way to say it. It's, it's necessarily complicated, and it shouldn't be necessarily complicated. Right. But right. you're right. That's a re- better way to say it, Mike. I was thinking as I was looking at this that... Um, an easier thing to do would have been uh, under each monster stat, and it would have increased the length of each monster stat block by a line or two. But just say, uh, you know, so many of these are a challenge for, and even if you if you went in the tiers in there, you know, one through four tier, five to ten tier, you could say, okay, X number of kobolds is a challenge for a first level party, or or hard or, or something like that. I, I felt like if if I were to find a different way to do this, I think I might look into trying to do that. And maybe it would make the monster stat blocks too complicated. Uh, but I, I think maybe so that if I was looking at a black bear, it could say, hey, this is a little too much for a, a level one character, even though it's only got a challenge rating of one half or something like, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, and it all comes down to, right, p- different people want to play different kinds of games, too. You know? oh, that's true. So, um, but but I do think you don't want to constantly kill your players, right? Nobody's really no, out no, no. to do that. Um, maybe some jerks at cons, but that's about it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, so it would be nice to have something a little bit more. I do think they give a, a nice warning there of, like, be careful about the ogre, because look how it could one-hit people, but... Just just to bring up one other quick example in the Horde of the Dragon Queen, and I've I've already heard people on Twitter. And this is a spoiler, a slight yep. spoiler for Horde of the Dragon Queen. So cover your ears if you're going to play this adventure. <laughs> but there's there's a tunnel, and inside the tunnel are two swarms of rats, mm-hmm. and yes. the, the swarms of rats have a CR. They're they're challenge one quarter, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So they're relatively low, fifty experience point uh, value, and it has. In the adventure, it says that for level one players, level one characters, you should have two of these. And I had six level two characters and thought, wow, that's significantly more powerful. So I'm going to go ahead and put three in there. And they almost got their asses totally kicked. Oh, wow. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like with four level ones. Like, I'm going to run this again at, at, for encounters. And I don't think, I think I'm going to go with one rat swarm. What I did, Mike, it's, I ran into that same cool. problem. And I staggered where the two swarms were. Yeah. And when they got to the first swarm, I saw how difficult it was for them. Yeah. And I just hand waved that the second swarm wasn't there. Yeah. Because exactly. if, if if they would have run into the second swarm, I think they would have died in the middle of the, the right. tunnel, which would have been right. terrible. Yeah. On like the second encounter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So here's what we know so far. Low level, very deadly. 
high level, maybe too easy. Yeah, we're unsure. not sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's where that is right now with encounter building. So hopefully we'll see. I'm not sure. Like you said, uh, Topher, I don't know what would fix it exactly. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's why they go on to say sort of like, ah, you'll, you'll learn as you move along how to, how to feel this instinctually because they don't want people to feel like they should be slaves to the math, you know? How do you, how do you do encounter balance in Pathfinder? Um, there's, well, the, it's the same as 3.5. You've got the challenge rating. Um, and two of those is, or if you double the number of ones present, it adds two to the challenge rating. And that's still the general guideline. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Just like three, three, five. Okay. Does yeah, it, it's been so long since I've done it. Does mm-hmm. it work about as not well as it did in three, five or? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. It's really hard to know what's <laughs> going to be a challenge to your players. Cause I've had them, you know, one round bad, you know, the bad guy that I thought would definitely kill a player. And I've had them sort of linger on a thing that I didn't think would be that hard for them. So, I mean, it's, it's always going to be that way. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think especially Pathfinder, which follows the three, five rules that you also mm-hmm. run into the, the, if you've got players that multi-class, you can either multi-class ridiculously well or ridiculously poorly. And so trying to find a challenge rating that balances the character that has, you know, level three but a plus zero base attack versus versus the character who's, you know, one war mage and one fighter and one something else that gives him crazy combat powers. Uh, I think that is exceptionally difficult in, in 3.5 based systems as well. So uh, I always had difficulty with that. Uh, there's 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 one other part to this though. Like my my group's probably going to talk about those rat swarms for like the next five years. That's true. So so there's something about like I I like that things are slightly unbalanced because again 4e, you know I I didn't even have to off the top of my head I could tell you exactly what the armor class of a level twelve guy was, and it's nice to know that like a rat swarm's only a quarter and it might be significantly more difficult than a, a null that I think actually a null is a half but it might be a significantly easier. And I think it's okay that they're asymmetric like that. I think it, you know, that might that might end up leading to more interesting storytelling. Let's move on, guys. Final topic of the night: magic items. Magic items not very different. Uh, nothing super unexpected here uh, than what we've seen. Uh, big work in progress in red letters, <laughs> uh, particularly on this magic item page. Um, you know, they talk about attunement, which we've talked about before. You can attune up to three items, and they're generally stronger magic items. And then they, uh, you know, go on to give some examples of uh, magic items you could give out. Um, a, a lot of very classic D&D items. Bag of Holding, Gauntlets of Ogre Power, uh, the Wand of Magic Missiles, you know, um, that sort of thing. Probably it looks like maybe... Uh, 15 to 20-ish items they have here, all told. Uh, Joe, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, My first thought is that the Identify spell is completely useless. (laughs) Um, In the the player's handbook, and it might even be in the basic rules too, there's a first-level spell that wizards and I think other folks can get called Identify. You need a 100 gold piece pearl to cast it, and uh, if you concentrate on the item during a short rest while being in physical contact with the item you get the exact same effects of casting identify. Uh, and so that was that was an interesting kind of, uh, why, why does identify, you know, maybe it exists so that you can quickly find out what the, what the item is instead of waiting for your short rest. But 
that feels like for for a hundred gold pieces, given the way cost is is uh, laid out in fifth edition, uh, that seemed a little cheap to me. Uh, it, I, or or it, it felt like why would you ever why would you ever cast the identify spell? That that really just sort of confused me. The other. I don't want to say issue, but I've seen it debated on the uh, on the Wizards forums online. Uh, again, with Druids being my favorite class, is uh, it says that um, the look uh, at plus one armor uh, it magically resizes to fit its wearer. Now, when you wild shape, you can decide if your uh, gear becomes a part of your new form or if it stays as gear and and your new form wears it if it can. But if it resizes, that means I can be a dire bear wearing my plate mail. Uh, and that seems well awesome in the um, Golden Compass books. Uh, it seems a little potentially uh, over uh, out of balance. I don't know. Um, and so I, I know you know a good DM will find a way to say, okay, yeah, no, that doesn't really work. But uh, vagaries like that uh, upset me a little, just because I'm used to the four E where everything was spelled out. This can work in these specific circumstances only, and that's uh-huh. it. And it feels like 5e is, is, has gone back to the older editions where things are a little more flowery and a little more just thrown out there. This is the sort of thing this does. But I feel like for, certain, for a certain type of player, that's going to create a lot more arguments at the table with their DM that, uh, as a DM, I wish didn't exist. <laughs> well, and I think that's true. And I, you know, you may even run across that when you're playing with people like at a game store who you have not um, necessarily talked to before. But... Uh, you know, the DM agency does allow for, I think, easier creation of magic items sort of on the fly with abilities and things like that. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I think there's probably some good advantages to that, but then there's also disadvantages to the lack of specificity for certain things. Uh, so so it is. It will be interesting to see, and certainly you are going to see some uh, DM player arguments, I think, spring up over stuff like this. Uh, Topher, thoughts? I mean, I think it's what it is. I mean, it tells me good information. It kind of spells it out. Like Joe said, it, it kind of sets some broad guidelines for lack of better terms. I do find it interesting that there are actual rules for placing a bag of holding inside of a portable hole and what happens at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, great. Uh, that, I, think that's, I mean, that's fantastic, but it's a little bit like, really, you decided to put that in there? And, uh, that's or classic. The, that's classic. Yeah, right. that's, that's, yeah. And, and Those also, are the rough edges I want. Hole? <laughs> yeah, right. it's a portable hole. It's not in here. <laughs> right, exactly. And you know, in, in, inevitably, there's always the guy who has the bag of holding wants to know what happens if he puts something alive inside of it. Now yeah. I can point to and say they're going to die. Let's be very clear about this. Um, I think it's good. I think it's um, um, they spell out like you like you said. It's very much work in progress. They are um, they are some items that you're going to probably run across pretty year early. We hope, and I think they're great. I think that. Um, it's easy for a DM to look at this and kind of make some quick decisions. And that's really what I wanted. And I, I'm, I'm happy with it. Nice. Nice. I'm neither jazzed or unjazzed, I should say. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the similarly like, Oh, well this was exactly what I expected. Uh, Mike, any thoughts? Uh, not really. I just want to, I want to see more. Yeah. No, I, I need, I need, I mean, these are fine and they'll, they'll suit for small, you know, short adventures, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that DMG. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm hoping to see, uh, you know, similar to wanting templates for monsters. I'm hoping we see some, you know, uh, similar to, to 3.5 and third, uh, 
qualities you can add to different types of things. You know, um, so so advice on building your own and then different qualities you can add. Like, here's how you would build a flaming weapon and here's how you would build a holy weapon. Yeah. And that's yeah. Awesome. yeah. How, do, how do you guys feel about the fact that the items don't have any levels associated with them? I, I, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I think yeah. they they have a rarity associated. Yeah, with that's them. kind of a weird thing because they have it, but it doesn't say what it means. Yeah, and I I wonder again. I wonder if that's one of the things that was uh, omitted either by choice or because they forgot. Because in the playtest packet, rarity did align with level, right? So like they said, like uh, if you give uh, a party of you know, third level characters, a legendary item that's really going to change the game. You know, um, where did they, where did they say that in the play test packets? Okay. Uh, yeah. in the public play test packets. So, I mean, that info is over, almost a year old now. Right. Um, so, but, so I wonder if rarity is going to still align to that or if they're just going to say, you know, uh, like as a guideline, if they're, if they're going to give that out still. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of happy with them not having a level just because it's a nice clean break away from the idea that magic items and levels should go hand in hand, mm-hmm, which right. is something that both, you know, 3.5 Pathfinder and 4E I think have all done, which is there's an expected, you know, things are scaled expecting that that PCs are going to have magic items. Exactly. Yeah. And and I'm I'm happy that they don't. Exactly. So when you find that plus 1 sword at first level, uh, right. you may still have it at 20th level and it'll still be great to have, you know? Yeah. And if you read these, like these, I can see these being useful at all levels, right? Yeah. There's none of, there's none of these items that I look at and go, and oh, no, I, I wouldn't care about that once I get past a certain level. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because, cool. because of the flat progression, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that was certainly a thing. I played two 4E campaigns, one to 30 and, you know, it was like, oh, I, you know, I, where's my new staff? I need a new yeah, staff. I'm not right. hitting anything. Yeah. yeah. As a player, I felt like that as a player, I went to my DM and I was like, Hey, I'm getting screwed here. Like I've been fighting with a level two dagger and I'm level 12, you know, by the book, I'm supposed to have a level three. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, that's I'm behind. Right? The inherent bonus was a, right. was a big thing when that yeah. came out. <laughs> well, the, and that's, that's, I think going to create an interesting, and I'm, I'm curious to see how they deal with it. Uh, when they do organized play for the, whatever Larisalt turned into, what is it? The D and D epics? Uh, because yeah. if, if they are the, going to allow creation of characters at a given level to do an epic adventure, like if the adventure is for levels, you know, 10 to 15 or something, and you want to make a level 10 character, if they allow you to bring in a character at that level, are they going to have a, and you get one uncommon magic item or something like that uh, with it, or are they going to be like they are with everything else in organized play where you have to have built a character from level one and have the item with the, uh, you know, with the code or whatever to prove that you earned that item. Uh, So I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out uh, for that particular program for the epics program. The the epics are not really like Larisalts. They're just kind of like one shot adventures. Mm-hmm. Oh, they are. Okay, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen the, any. The yet, one but... at Gen Con. Yeah, the one at Gen Con was was a three hour a three hour adventure. It wasn't. It wasn't like. I mean, the Larisalt really is like a like a tactical puzzle. Right. And right. The Gen Con was like any other D and D adventure. It just happened to be a bunch of tables working together. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So and and I think they've actually said that one of the reasons they like the bounded accuracy system is that if you start at a higher level, you still don't start with magic items. Which, right, right. And which, and the big the big question for the DMG will be please don't have 
magic items with big high bonuses on them. Right. Right. Like they, they really need to limit what those bonuses are going to be or else it will be, you know, like it could be double your attack score. <laughs> it's, you know, if you have like these levels, you know, plus six swords like they did in 4E and oh, Pathfinder. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Chris, what do you think about magic items here in the basic packet? Uh, most of what I thought has already been said. Uh, there's a little <laughs> bit of a question as to how common these are going to be. There's no way here to build a treasure hoard. Mm hmm. For yeah. an encounter, and there's no, you know, idea of what mo kind of monster has what in its horde. Right, right. So there's a little bit of context I'd like to see, and of course, you know, I'd like to see this list expanded because you know, 18 items and three of them are potions. <laughs> it's uh, it, you know, it, it could be more, but you know, this is you know, this is the free document. Yep, yep. And <laughs> again, we may be seeing more of that in the future since this is according to the cover page version 0.1. So, right. I noticed that it was a version zero. I'm like, well, what, what would constitute a one on that? A uh, medium-sized crab, I guess. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I like that the uh, stat items give you a flat 19 and not yeah, a plus right. X to their yeah. stat. Because then you're not going to like, you know, oh, I need to make my gauntlets of ogre power, gauntlets of bigger ogre power. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's, there's some like barbarian min-maxing, right? Of like, I'm going right. to have a strength of 10 and just hunt the lands with my gauntlets of ogre power. <laughs> Put everything else into decks and con. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I wonder if you're going to see when you find items like that, is it that they go to, you know, maybe they go to the cleric. Or right. they go to the because the fighter already has you know uh, his his strength, or eventually they make their way over to the wizard. You know, once everybody else has maxed out their strength. So. That was but the gauntlets of ogre power. Edition. Yeah, I was going to say gauntlets of ogre power did the same thing in first and second. So. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's right. there's other items too. I think because I you know I just played Baldur's Gate again, and which is all second edition rules on the computer. And showed me how weird second edition is, but it had a lot of those items where it would like cap you at a you know it would bring you to a high amount. It'd be like you have an eighteen seventy five strength, and I'm like, yeah, but my guy's got an eighteen eighty five, and it lowered him. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's when you give it to Minsk. No, Minsk was yeah. higher actually. Minsk, yeah, Minsk was high. Yeah, <laughs> give it to Jahira. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, I think that's going to do it for this roundtable. So we this is like a super extended double issue edition here. Where can people find you, Joe Lestowski? Uh I am on the Twitter, although usually it's just to say, hey, I'm going to D&D Encounters tonight. But that's at, uh, at Joe Lestowski. Uh, and also a new site, like I said at the beginning of the show, that just started up uh, Acts of Geek. Uh, dot com and I'm going to be doing a Doctor Who panel called Doctor Y and uh, a role playing related uh, not panel a uh, column uh, that's going to be called uh, Dragon Through Dungeons. Oh, nice, nice! That sounds awesome. I can't wait to read it. Topher <laughs> Cohen, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on the Twitters also at uh, Topher ATL, also on the Google Plus. And um, at the same thing, and also at my local friendly gaming store, Running Encounters on Wednesday nights um, at Titans Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. Come say hi. Awesome. Uh, Mike Shea, where can people find you? Um, SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish. Nice. Chris Dudley, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find our podcast at RuleZeroPodcast.com, or you can get it from iTunes, or you can Twitter me at, at RuleZeroPodcast, which could be me or Pete but it's usually me, or you can come to my house, but call first. 
There you go. <laughs> a <laughs> new house. <laughs> yes. Guys, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. Or you could reach out to these guys in any of the ways they have expressed you may reach out to them. And a quick shameless plug for me, you can check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world that I'm building for my players. It's a worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Joe, Topher, Mike, and Chris. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.